We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Let's pray. Father, you are good and gracious. You are uh, independent. You need nothing from no one. You are abundantly faithful. We thank You for the love that You have shown us in Christ. We come before You this morning um, as children, dependent on You. We pray, Father, that You would feed us uh, from Your Word. We pray, Father, that You would help us. We confess that uh, so often we don't hunger uh, for Your Word the way that we should. We pray for Your help. Give us an appetite this morning to hear from You. Lord, we confess our great need uh, for Your help, our great dependency on You. We thank You, Father, that You are a good Father, that You love to give good uh, gifts to Your children, and we come this morning with that expectation, Father, that You would, uh, through Your Word, uh, grow us and mature us into Christ. We pray, Father, that uh, You would help those here today who are tired. Lord, help them to be energized to hear Your Word. We pray for those, uh, for the children in our midst, that You'd help them to sit and listen and be benefited from Your Word. And pray for those who may have a hard time sitting for long periods of time because of pain and other things. Help them uh, to be able to sit and listen uh, to Your Word. Help us, Lord, to uh, really believe that this is uh, Your Word, the Word of our Maker, our Sustainer, and our Savior. And in Christ's name we pray, Amen. To start off, I thought it would be helpful to give a, a brief history lesson. Uh, if you remember, uh, in the Old Testament you have King David, he's the pinnacle uh, of the nation of Israel, uh, and then you have his son Solomon. After Solomon died, if you recall, there's a split, right? There's a split in the kingdom. You have uh, the ten northern tribes, uh, which are uh, henceforth referred to as Israel or, or Samaria. And then you have the southern tribes, uh, which is referred to Judah. Now, the northern tribes, uh, they had bad king after bad king after bad king. They uh, were continually rebellious against God. And in the 8th century, they were eventually uh, taken captive uh, by the Assyrians. Now Judah, on the other hand, uh, fared a little better. Uh, every now and then they would have a good king. 
God was gracious on them. Uh, 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 God was keeping a line of kings uh, that descended from David uh, through Judah. Uh, but they too were rebellious continually. And uh, by the eighth, uh, I'm sorry, by the sixth century, uh, they were taken captive by the Babylonians. And so they're in Babylon, and that's where we read the accounts of uh, men like Daniel. Um, and they're there for 70 years. Uh, after the 70 years, this uh, miraculous thing happens. King Cyrus, this uh, pagan king, uh, commands them to go back to Jerusalem. He even uh, gives them supplies to build the, the temple of the Lord. Uh, and so a remnant of people go back uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, while there, things are, are obviously not the same. The city dis- was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Uh, the, the former glory of the past uh, seemed to have been uh, gone. Uh, but they were charged with a project. Right? They were charged to rebuild the temple of the Lord uh, while they were there. And so with this in mind, uh, let's uh, reread our passage there, in, uh, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. This is uh, during the reign of King Darius now, no longer King Cyrus. Uh, but in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. By Haggai's time, this is around um, 18 years after coming back to Jerusalem, catch, catch the scene. The, the temple project has been neglected. They were given supplies. They were even uh, given the, the edict of, of King Cyrus to build up this temple, and yet uh, they hadn't done so. We read in these opening verses that uh, the people were content to dwell in their own houses at the expense of God's. They, the people were more concerned with their own kingdoms than God's. They neglected their God-given responsibility to build up the temple. The time to work on the Lord's house was always for another time. They say, the, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Tomorrow, the next day, the next year. And under such conditions, God uh, disciplines the people. They have misplaced priorities. They sowed much, and yet they harvested little. They ate, but never had enough. They drank, but never had their fill. They had clothes, but were never warm. They earned wages, but their bags had holes in them. God explains that this, uh, this barrenness is a result of their neglect 
of the temple of the Lord. The people uh, were motivated to build, right? They had paneled houses. However, their misplaced priorities caused them to focus on building their own houses at the expense of God's. They sought to build their own house at the neglect of God's, and because they did, both their house and God's house uh, laid in ruins. You know, in in our time, we don't have a a physical temple, uh, so to speak, to build as part of God's kingdom work. We did have some roof repair. Our task is not to take up brick and mortar and to repair the temple of the Lord in that way, in this way, but we are tasked with a building project. We're tasked with building up a different type of temple of the Lord. If you want to keep your finger in in Haggai and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, Paul is explaining uh, the unity uh, that the body has, both Jew and uh, Gentile. And he's addressing uh, the Gentiles here in verse 19. He says, uh, chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Listen, verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The body of Christ, as it were, the the believers, the body of Christ is a temple of the Lord. And in Christ, we're being built together. We're being joined together. We're growing into this holy temple where God's presence uh, dwells with us. And there's work to be done in this temple building project. We read uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 6, And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, building up the temple, as it were, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Listen to this, verse 15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God has given uh, equipped Uh, men to the church that then in turn uh, equip the body so that the rest of the body builds itself up in love. That that as as a body together, we're building up the temple. Each one of us is equipped 
in a unique way. And we do so, we see in Ephesians 4 there, we do so by speaking the truth in love to one another. God has positioned us, God has equipped us for this temple building project. And there's work. There's work to be done. And yet, we, I think, I can speak for myself at least, we, like the Jews in Haggai's time, can so often be neglectful. We, we work hard for uh, comfort, for financial security, uh, pleasure, social standing, and yet these things may well fall into a bag with holes in them. And at what cost? At what cost? We, we can work so hard to build up our own little worldly kingdoms, a kingdom that will fade away. And yet, do we with same passion pursue the building up of God's kingdom? We can uh, easily focus on vain things. God has entrusted us with our time, our energy, our abilities as tools. And they're tools to build up the temple. And yet, we can easily grow complacent. We can often seek to build our own houses at the expense of God's. I know that I have grown complacent. That so often I seek to build my own house at the expense of God's. You know, just, uh, just yesterday, I'm working through this. Uh, it has the reference of paneled houses in there. And uh, 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 Debbie has had this idea of like a very cost-effective way of doing board and batten on our walls. And uh, I, don't, I, didn't, I had to look what that word even meant. I knew what board meant. But, uh, and I got so excited about it, you know, oh yeah, we can do this, we can do that, and I was like consumed, envisioning it, passionate about it, and, and then I was, it just struck me, this is a paneled house <laughs> that I'm seeking to build, quite literally. Now, it's okay to pursue building board and batten on your house, but, but it struck me. Do I with same passion? Am I as zealous about God's house as I am about uh, a couple of boards on a wall? So often not. If I'm honest with myself. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, the fading glory of this world all too easily captures our sinful hearts. While we regard the eternal glory of the incomprehensible God as something we could take or leave. I think, I think uh, we look around and we see great spiritual barrenness in our land. Uh, prosperity in our country, I, th I think in many ways, has brought about complacency in our hearts. 
The fading glory of the world and our kingdom has captured our eyes and hearts more than the eternal glory of God in His kingdom. So what do we do? Haggai chapter 1 verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. God tells them, consider your ways. Think about it. See your sinful neglect of God's house. And then respond. Respond in obedience. Gather up wood and build up the house of the Lord. They're to repent of their neglect of God's temple. I think we too should consider our ways. Let us see our own sinful neglect of God's house. Let us confess that we so often busy ourselves with our own house at the expense of God's. Let us see our own blame for the spiritual barrenness in our day. It's so easy to to blame it on the guy out there, what they're doing out there. But it starts with me, with my own heart. We confess that sin, and then we quickly turn and we thank God for Christ Jesus. We see the, the neglect, and that neglect and will, uh, this side of eternity will always be there. And time and time again, as we see that neglect, we rejoice for Christ Jesus, who paid the price for our sinful neglect, who bore uh, the wrath of God that we deserve for our sinful neglect. So we're forgiven, we're cleansed, and we can move forward and we can mess up again. We can look to Christ again, but we pursue this temple building project. And as uh, we're reminded of the grace of God shown to us in Christ Jesus, we then turn and we go to the hills. We bring wood and build the house that, the, that God may take pleasure in and that He may be glorified. Let us use the time, the talents, the resources God has given us to build one another up in love. Let us point each other to the truth of God's Word, to the finished work of Christ Jesus. Let us use our earthly goods and abilities to care for one another. Let us use the position that God has placed us in to seek more wood for this house to preach Christ to lost souls, that they too may be building material for this house, for His house. Let us go to the hills and preach a crucified Christ for wicked sinners. Let us go to the hills and tell the next generation of the great deeds of God that He has accomplished in the Son. 
Let us gather wood into the house of the Lord through the proclamation of Christ and Him crucified. Amen? Our hearts, my heart, is often cold and complacent in these things. I confess with great sadness that my heart is often stone cold in the task of building up the temple of the Lord. Where is our hope? What hope do we have in this temple building project? Let's continue on in verse 12 to see our hope. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So God brings this charge against them. He explains why He's disciplining them in, in His love. And in response, the people obeyed the voice of the Lord. They came and worked on the house of the Lord. Well, what, what ultimately caused the change? In verse 14, we read again, And the Lord stirred up the spirit. He stirred up the spirit of uh, um, Zerubbabel, of Joshua, and all the remnant of the people. You see, ultimately, behind the scenes, we see that they were, they were motivated to work on this task not because of, uh, they all of a sudden became better people, or it's ultimately because God stirred up their spirits. God worked in them both to will and to do for His good pleasure. His Spirit stirred up their hearts to build up the house of God. And we read similar sort of language in Ephesians 2.22. In Him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There is our hope. There is our hope. That ultimately it's the Spirit of God who builds up the house of the Lord. We are uh, dependent people. The very definition of the word dependent, that's what we are. In all ways. This dependency does not negate our responsibility to build up the house of the Lord. However, as we see our, our utter lack as we see our, our lack of ability, our insufficiency in this task, as we see our complacency, as we uh, see our stone-cold hearts in this temple-building project, let us call out to God, the one in whom we are dependent on. 
Let us call out to God to stir up our spirits. Father, send your spirit to stir us up to the work on your house. Father, take our cold, complacent hearts and light them afire with gospel zeal. Father, conform us into the image of your Son who, had an all, who has an all-consuming zeal for your house. We confess our sinfulness and we thank you for Christ. Father, we are dependent on you. We confess our utter dependency on you. Work in us to will and to do for your good pleasure. May we desire stirred up hearts for this temple building project more than worldly comfort. May we desire the glory of the Lord more than the the fading glory of this world. May we desire to live and die for the name of the Holy Eternal One who lived and died for a sinful, stiff-necked people such as us. We are dependent people. And that is good because our God is a faithful God. Our hope is in Him, not in ourselves. And so we have hope because although we are dependent, God is independent. There's still more hope to be found as we look at this temple building project and we look at ourselves. Let's continue on in chapter 2. In the seventh month, So this is about a month later. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. As the people restarted building the temple, there was temptation to despair. The temple looked as nothing in the eyes who had once seen Solomon's temple. And yet God tells them to be strong, to take heart, to continue to work. Why? 
because the Lord of hosts was with them. His spirit remained in their midst according to the promise he had made. God would fill the temple with glory in such a way that its glory would be greater than Solomon's temple. As we work on temple building, so to speak, we too can lose heart. The state of uh, the church, uh, particularly in America, uh, may seem dismal compared to former days. We see our own weakness. We see our own sinfulness. And we can be tempted to despair. But take heart. Keep working. The Lord of hosts is in our midst. His Spirit remains with us according to the promise He has made. He will never leave us or forsake us. Christ will build His church. God's Spirit will accomplish the building up of this temple. So push forward. Who is the master architect of this temple? Who is the ultimate builder of this temple? The eternal, omnipotent, ever-faithful, super-gracious, abundantly loving God. Christ lived and died for His church. Will He not also complete the building of it and take full possession of it? God is in our midst. His Spirit remains with us according to the promise He has made. The Father paid the price of His precious Son to purchase a prized people for His own possession. Will He not take possession of that which He paid for with the blood of His Son? God is in our midst. His Spirit remains with us according to the promise He has made. God has promised to complete the good work He has started in us. Christ has promised to build His church. Will He not do what He has promised? God is in our midst. His Spirit remains with us according to the promise He has made. So let us be strengthened. Let us push forward in this temple building project. God is in our midst. His Spirit remains with us according to the promise He has made. The same same Spirit of God who has been at work saving and sanctifying all those who have come before us is with us now. The same Spirit of God who brought 3,000 dead men to spiritual life on Pentecost through the simple preaching of the Word of God is with us now. That Spirit. Let us pray that the Spirit of God would open eyes of blind men to see the glories of Christ. Let us pray that the Spirit of God would open the ears of deaf men to hear and respond to the Gospel call. Who knows what glorious work of God we might see in our day? Who knows what glorious work of God is doing right now that we don't even see? God is in our midst. His Spirit remains with us according to the promise He has made. What what hope we can have 
Let's continue reading in verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, this is about three months into the building project, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. So, about three months into the building project, God reminded the people of something essential through the prophet Haggai. Unclean things cannot produce clean things. That seems to make sense, doesn't it? Unclean things cannot produce clean things. The people's hands are defiled. So the work of their hands is unclean. The glory of the temple and the sacrifices are not made glorious because of the people's work. Their hearts and hands are unclean. Thus, their work is unclean. And yet, despite this, we read in, in verse 19, they would receive blessing from God. Now, this is, both these things are important to understand. You see, the people were made barren, by God's disciplining hand, lovingly. God wanted to show them the gravity of their sin, of their neglect of the building of the temple. But now, blessing was coming. The temptation would be to think, well, the blessing is coming because we're working on the temple. The blessing is coming because we're, doing, uh, we're trying to obey what God has commanded. The blessing is coming because we earned it. Well, that can't be the case. Their hearts and hands were unclean. How can unclean hands work to earn blessing from a holy God? How can an unclean people receive the blessing of God? Well, it's only through grace. 
It's only through His grace. God will bless them not based upon the merit of their work. Their work was unclean. God will bless them based upon His sovereign grace. There can be temptation for us too as we labor to build the house of the Lord. When we see evidence of God's blessing, we can be tempted to think that it is ultimately because of something we are doing. That somehow we earned the blessing of God. May we be reminded that the work of our hands is unclean. At best, we are unprofitable servants. Our best efforts are tainted with sin. And yet, we have hope. We have hope because these sin-riddled hands have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Our sin-tainted hearts have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. We are made positionally righteous before God in Christ Jesus. Practically, our best efforts are still tainted with sin. Yet we have hope. We have hope not only are we made righteous in Christ, but God uses our sin-tainted hands to build up His holy temple. Isn't that amazing? That God uses sin-tainted hands to build up His holy temple. God, in a display of absolute sovereign grace, accomplishes good through the work of unclean hands such as these ones. God, in a display of absolute sovereign grace, pours out spiritual blessing on those who have done nothing to deserve it. That is good news, folks. Amen? And so we have hope. We have hope in our temple building. Not in the strength of our hands, not in the purity of our hearts, but in the sovereign grace of God. And is there any uh, a limit or boundary to the grace of God? No. And so when we see blessing when we see this temple being built brick by brick, little by little, when we see our rough edges refined, when we see sinners saved, we know that ultimately it is because of God's grace and not our labor. To God be the glory, great things He has done. So let us pray that God would graciously, from this day, from this day, bless us with spiritual fruitfulness in our land. Let us sow and water gospel seed diligently, generously, as we look to God to cause the increase. And let us give all the glory to God when that increase comes. At this point, we've seen that God had lovingly disciplined His people to bring them to repentance. God lovingly worked in them to work 
on the building of the temple. God graciously blessed them with fruitfulness, but he doesn't stop there. Let's finish off here in verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. God tells Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that he has chosen to make him like a signet ring, to be of high esteem. Under Zerubbabel's rule, God will shake the heavens and the earth. God will overthrow kingdoms for the well-being of his people. God here is, is demonstrating his zeal for his people. He cares about the protection and provision of his people. God does not turn a blind eye to the threats against his people. He cares deeply for them. And because of his great care for us, God has given us a better governor than Zerubbabel. He has provided for us his chosen king, who he has esteemed higher than any other. One who actually descended from Zerubbabel. Jesus Christ is the chosen governor of his people. His name is exalted above every name. In Christ we have our exalted shepherd king. God is zealous for his people today. He cares about the protection and provision of his people. God does not turn a blind eye to the threats against his people. He cares deeply for them. The nations rage and plot in vain against Christ and His church. Christ, our governor, our king, has ensured our victory. Christ has conquered our sin and death on the cross. And He will build His church. He rules over His church. He disciplines us for our own good. He protects and provides for us like a nursing mother. Throughout history, nations and kings have sought to destroy Christ's church. Their kingdoms are a distant memory, while Christ's kingdom still stands. Christians will face lack, will face suffering, pain, persecution, perhaps even martyrdom. But the nations cannot defeat the kingdom of God. The nations cannot destroy this temple of God that is being built up right now. Christ is the King that God has chosen for us. That is good news. I'll take Christ over Zerubbabel any day. In conclusion, let's take hope in this temple building project. Christ, our King, oversees it, 
He's accomplishing it from beginning to end. The temple will be made whole. So let's get to work. Let us not lose heart when it seems like nothing is happening. Building projects often happen little by little. Let us not lose courage when the nations rise up against us. Let us push on with the hope that the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, is in our midst. Let us take heart that Christ is our King. He is our King who laid down His life for us that we might have eternal life in Him. And as we recognize, as we are confronted with our neglect, with our insufficiency, with our remaining sin, let us remember that Christ has paid for our sin. And let us cry out to God in utter dependency that He would stir up our hearts to build the house of the Lord and that He would use our sin-tainted hands to do so for the glory of His good and gracious name. Let's pray. Father, there is nothing more glorious than You. Nothing more beautiful than You. Nothing more worthy than You. You are high and lifted up. We confess that uh, we so often demonstrate that we think this world is more worthy than You. That ourselves are more worthy than You. We confess this, Lord. We see it as a great sin. We thank You that we have a great Savior in Christ. Father, as, as, your, as your children, we desire to honor Your name. We desire uh, to take our eyes off of the vain things of this world and to set our eyes on You and Your kingdom. We confess that we need help. Lord, we are dependent on You. We pray, that you would ask, uh, we pray and ask that You would stir up our hearts, Lord, that we would view things rightly, we recognize that if we don't think you're glorious, the problem isn't you. The problem is with our hearts. We pray that you would change us and conform us into the image of your Son like you've promised to do. We pray that more and more we would be more zealous for your kingdom and not for ours. We pray that you would help us to use our time, our gifts, our abilities, the things that you have graciously given us uh, for the good of your people, for the glory of your name, to reach out to a lost and dying world, to, to tell them of the only Savior, Christ. Help us to grow in our love uh, for you and our love for people, and that we would demonstrate that love by telling people the good news of Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have that Christ is our King. That Your Spirit is in our midst. We thank You that You are a good and faithful God. We thank You for Your many promises, Father. We thank You for the blessing that You graciously pour out on us. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged. To push forward, recognizing that it does not ultimately depend on the strength 
of our hands or the purity of our hearts, but it depends on your faithfulness to your promise. And we can bank on that every time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.